Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Wendell Babcock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope when I'm 65, I'm like that, so. <laughs> uh, well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be, uh, good to be with you. As, uh, as Wendell said, um, and my wife says, you're you just, you're really poor poor salesman. I, I did bring books. Um, uh, Discovery House, our Daily Bread Ministries did uh, publish uh, my first book, and, um, and I'll be in the back if you, uh, you want to get a copy. They're not on the table. Uh, they're under the table. Um, last time, uh, I took them to a camp. Some people just thought they were free, and they were taking them, so uh, you're more than welcome to, um, uh, to come back there and get a copy. Um, they're um, I think they're like 13 bucks with taxes, like 14.83 or something like that. So uh, you're more than welcome to to get them if you if you like. It's a, it's really a devotional, and um, and you get a chance to to see uh, if you want to use it day by day. If you want to use it um, in a meeting, that those kinds of things, you're more than welcome to to do that. So, um, so we we've been talking about this whole story idea, and um, God. God wants to tell a story through our lives, and um, there are plot twists to those stories, and, but Jesus has given us uh, the victory to tell, so we can tell a better story with our lives. He's shared, he's shared the victory with us, uh, victory over sin and temptation, victory over the world, and victory over Satan. And um, this is our reality. This is who we are, our identity in Christ. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And yet, sometimes things get in the way, right? Um, things get in the way. Um, there are strongholds that get in the way that keeps us, that keep us from telling the better story that God wants us to tell. A time doesn't permit uh, us to, to deal with every single stronghold. Last night we talked about passivity and how passivity sometimes um, keep us from telling a better story with our lives. Adam had the ability to fill uh, Victor Franco's gap with action, and he chose to do nothing. Uh, like, the, like the spinning top in Inception, it stopped uh, it was never designed to stop spinning. It was always designed to spin, just like your will and my will has been designed to act. And so uh, tonight, we're going to talk about how shame actually keeps us from telling a better story, and how do we move beyond shame. And I know there are people who are listening to me right now, there's shame in your past, shame of some things that you've done, may have thought or whatever. How do we live past shame? Our young people are dealing with shame in their lives, whether it's the family they're from, things they've dealt with, things they've done, uh, whether it's young ladies trying to, young ladies and young men cutting themselves, and there's shame associated with that. And so we're going to talk about how to get beyond shame, the stronghold of shame tonight. But today we want to talk about uh, this, this, um, this recurring, uh, reoccurring topic of what do you do when unforgiveness is the main character in your story? What do you do when uh, unforgiveness actually keeps you from telling a better story with your life? And um, we all deal with it. We all deal with it. And, um, and so how do we get beyond it? Uh, there's, a, there's a story. Erasmus University did a study Researchers did a study in how holding a grudge can actually weigh you down. And so Erasmus University researchers, they, um, they had three groups of people. And they uh, told those three groups of people, we want you to think about um, three different things, or at least basically three different things. The first group, we want you to think of a time when you did not forgive someone. And then the second group, we want you to think of a time when you did forgive someone. And then the third group, we want you to just simply think about neutral thoughts, neither uh, a time where you did not forgive, neither a time where you forgave. And then they said, what we want you to do, we want you to, for the person, for the individuals who actually forgave, we want you to jump up and down five times. And then for the person who did, uh, did, uh, did forgive, 
or the first person who did not forgive, we want you to jump up and down five times. Person who did forgive, we want you to jump up and down five times. And for the neutral group, we want you to jump up and down five times. To a person, the individuals who actually forgave, they jumped at a, at a rate of 11.8 inches off the ground. The individuals who did not forgive, they jumped 8.5 inches off the ground every single time. And the individuals who actually were thinking neutral thoughts jumped the same uh, height as those who did not forgive. So, so the individuals who actually forgave, they were, they were actually able to jump higher, which led the researchers to believe uh, the, the old adage that, that unforgiveness actually does weigh you down physically. And uh, so there's an emotional weighing down, but that emotional weighing down is mixed with the physical and physiologically, it actually weighs us down. And they did the same, uh, they did a, a, an additional study. They said, for the person who did not forgive and the person who did forgive, we want you to, um, we want you to, um, to roll a wheelbarrow up the hill. And the person who did not forgive, even though it's the same distance, the person who did not forgive, it seemed steeper than uh, the person who did forgive. Same distance, same amount, uh, same distance up the mountain, but for the person who did not forgive, the mountain seemed much, much steeper. And so, in essence, unforgiveness does, in fact, weigh you down emotionally, Physically, as researchers indicate, and we all know this, it weighs you down spiritually. And so, so today we want to look at what, what does it, what, what do you do? What do you do with unforgiveness? Do you, um, do you forgive a person who does not receive your forgiveness? Um, do you, uh, if you forgive someone, are you expected now to... Uh, restore the relationship that you once had? If you forgive someone, do you go back to an abusive relationship if that's the case? So how do you and I navigate through forgiveness and unforgiveness so that you and I might tell a better story with our lives? Now this is a very, very, uh, this is one of those issues that again, it comes up over and over and over again uh, in our lives. And so how do we, in fact, deal with this issue of, um, of unforgiveness? So how do you and I begin to bury the hatchet? How do you and I begin to bury the hatchet? So, so, um, so Jesus actually teaches this. And this is what he says. And he said to, this, to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And then Jesus gives this amazing statement, which is the linchpin, which is the hinge for this passage. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. So when Jesus, this whole teaching about forgiveness is built on watch yourself. Pay attention to yourselves. There are two things that Jesus wants us to pay attention to in this passage. He says, watch yourself in this way first. I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to yourself so that you don't cause someone else to sin. So you and I can cause another person to sin by the way we act, our attitudes, and so forth. And then he says a second thing you need to watch out for, which is germane to the text, which we're, which we're going to talk about. Be careful when someone sins against you not to hold them and keep them in the proverbial penalty box for the offenses that they've committed against you. 
So, so, so there's a temptation that you and I have to cause another person to sin. And the second temptation is when someone sins against us, I will not forget it. And I will, you know, you, you, uh, you're on the hockey, you're on the ice, and you are now in the penalty box, not for five minutes, not for three minutes, not for five minutes, but now for a lifetime. And so Jesus says, watch yourself, because we run the risk of doing one or the other when someone, when there's an, uh, in terms of offenses, all right? So he says, watch yourselves, and then pay attention, he says, pay attention to yourself, all right? So, um, and then this is what he says. He says, if a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke him. All right, so here we go. Here we go in terms of how do you and I begin to bury the hatchet? How do you and I begin to deal with unforgiveness in our lives the stronghold of unforgiveness so that you and I, we can root it out and ultimately tell a better story with our lives. The first thing that Jesus says that you and I have to do is clarify the infraction. Clarify the infraction. Everybody say with me, clarify the infraction. All right, all right, like, like say it like you mean it. Like, like. All right, let's say it together. One, two, three. Clarify the infraction. Now, this is important because the context of this passage and the context of forgiveness is relationship. It's relationship. It is, it is in the community of faith, it is a brother or a sister, if a brother or a sister, someone that is a follower of Jesus, someone who is closely following Jesus, and in your sphere of influence, Jesus says, rebuke that person. So it's in the context of relationship. Now, Jesus' words are good for everyone, but he is talking about a Christian relationship with another brother or sister. Now, the second thing that Jesus is saying in this passage, that's just in this little short verse, Jesus is talking about sin, specifically someone who sins against you. Now, this is very important because It's very important that we understand he is talking about sin. He is not talking about an irritation or an annoyance. We got to keep that in mind because we tend to say, you offended me with your preference and annoyance and your irritation. Jesus is not talking about that. My kids annoy me all the time. But sin and annoyance are different things. Sometimes we hold people in a penalty box for their personality and not because they have broken a commandment against us. Does that make sense to everybody? So, so we like, like, you offended me, so I need, you need to, I need to, uh, uh, you need to ask me to, for, you know, forgive you. And no, Jesus says, if a brother or sister sins against you, then that's the issue that we're talking about. So forgiveness operates in the realm of sin, not annoyance. When God's standards are broken against another person, if I lie about you, That is an infraction. That is a sin against you. If I gossip about you, that is an infraction and a sin against you. But if I am loud, that's not necessarily a sin against you. That has to do with preference and irritation and annoyance. If I smack my food at the table, I... Like, like, you shouldn't say, you offend me. That's like, no, you annoy me. That's irritating to me. 
but, but that's not a sin against you. If I commit adultery against my wife, or my wife commits adultery against me, then that is an infraction that's, that's, uh, that's deserving of forgiveness and an apology and repentance and those kinds of things. So sin, uh, forgiveness operates in the realm of sin. Now, forgiveness is not trivializing sin. So if you come to me and say, would you please forgive me for this? And I say, yes, I will. I'm not trivializing what I've done to you or what you've done to me if forgiveness comes very quickly. It's not trivializing it at all. So, so, so when, when, when Jesus says this, if a brother or sister sins against you, you're actually taking sin seriously. Sin is not, I forgive and forget. It's not that trivial. It's not that simple. In fact, I would say forgiveness is more about what you do when you remember the offense versus forgetting the offense. In fact, I don't think you can forgive I don't think you can forgive and not remember the offense. In order to forgive, you actually have to remember the offense. You have to remember that this person hurt me. This person wounded me. This person has, um, there's an infraction against me. So sometimes we trivialize it by saying, oh, I just forgot it. No, no. Forgiveness, germane to forgiveness is Whoa, John, you hurt me. Mary, you wounded me. So I remembered, I remember it, but it's, it's about what you do when you remember the offense. All right? And so, um, so, so it begins with knowing and identifying what is the sin, what is the infraction that the person has leveled against you? So this helps in forgiveness to be more specific. So it is, you gossiped about me, you said things that were not true, so burying the hatchet begins with understanding what the infraction is. All right? So, so if you're dealing with a forgiveness issue now in your relationship, in your family, what, what infraction, what sin did your wife or your husband or your friend do against you? So I had a situation where I needed to make a call yesterday, and I had to ask forgiveness of a man who was on our staff, and he's now moved to... Um, move to Florida. He should be asking me forgiveness, like moving to Florida, like from Michigan. Like, uh, so, so I, I failed to do something. I failed him in a leadership spot when I should have acted, when I should, I, I went passive on an issue when I should have been active. And my, my inactivity hurt him and his family. And so the Holy Spirit convicted me several months ago and said, you never apologized and asked Alan for forgiveness. And so I wanted to meet him face-to-face, but our schedules got crossed up. And so I planned a phone conversation. And, um, and, and when, we, when I called him, you know, we, we kind of had a little small talk in the beginning. And then I said... Alan, I need to ask you to forgive me. And then I began to actually name the infraction that I went passive as a leader when I should have made an active decision in this area of your life, and our, uh, of the, the life of our church, but your life and my life as well. 
and uh, I began to enumerate a few other things, and, and he, uh, he said, not trivializing it, said, Marvin, I forgive you. And there was a weight that was lifted, but it begins with, it began with clarifying the infraction, saying, this is how I hurt you, and become very, very specific about the way we've hurt individuals. All right, here's the second thing. If, yes, yes. Okay. It, okay, by the way, anytime you need to stop me, we, I know we have a question and answer period down the road, but anytime you want to stop me, we can, we can always mix the two together and we can get out of here a little bit earlier too, so, all right? All right, go ahead. Okay. Okay, so, so, so even though it may not be a sin, there may be an occasion where, again, we're all image bearers, and it's about an honor issue, a respect issue, and so it becomes this idea where if I, if I hurt you or sinned against you and disrespected you as an image bearer, disrespected you as someone who it, whom I love and care for, then please forgive me for uh, disrespecting you. But, but again, it's not, it doesn't fit into a category of a sinful infraction. So, so it, it still warrants, it still warrants a, a, a dealing with the relational issue. Okay, it still warrants that it, it may require a forgiveness issue. It may require a, um, a I apologize for hurting you in that way. Uh, even though it may not be a sin, um, we still have the, I, I would run the risk of siding with I hurt you, even though it's not a sin, I love you and care about you, and I care about this relationship, and I don't want you to be hurt. And so, so another question is, tell me how I've hurt you. Okay, you hurt me this way, you hurt me this way. And it could be really a perception issue and say, I, listen, I had no idea that I said that and that it hurt you in that way. And it could be something that that person is bringing from their background and their baggage or their baggage from their past. And, and it's blown out of proportion, but you always go for the relationship as opposed to, I didn't sin against you, so I don't really have to apologize. No, you say, hey, wait a minute. Even though, even though I, I, have no, I had no clue that that would hurt you, would you, please, would you please forgive me for your perception of me hurting you in that way? And so, <laughs> All right, all right, so that came out totally wrong, came out totally wrong. And so, so there is a, I think there's an honor issue. There's a respect issue, even though it doesn't fit in the, the category of sin. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, all right. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, you didn't hear the question. So she, so she, she asked the question, if, if, if it doesn't fit in the category of sin, but someone else perceives it as hurt, you hurting them, then what's the difference? Her offense, sinful offense, and hurt, are we still required to offer forgiveness or receive forgiveness, those kinds of things. So again, the larger context is relationship. And we always want to side with caring for the relationship uh, more than being right on a particular issue. All right? So everybody got that? All right, very good. All right, so let's, let's, uh, let's move on. So let's, the second thing, the second thing or the second move that you and I make is care front the person courageously. Care front the, 
care for the person courageously. Now, you see care, and it's a mixture of care and confronting. So confronting feels punitive. Confronting feels um, um, confrontational. But carefronting says, I care enough about you to bring the issue to light. I love you enough to actually do this courageously. And so Jesus says, when a person sins against you, when you clarify, when you clarify the issue and clarify the offense, now rebuke the person. This is the courageous carefrontation. So rebuke is, Jesus says rebuke them. When Jesus says rebuke them, it is actually saying, I am going to hold you accountable for what you did. So what, what we tend to do is this. We don't hold people accountable for their actions any longer. We let it go. We let it fester. It becomes Mount St. Helens. And then all of a sudden, the bad boy erupts, and we just spew lava when it's gone too far. But when you and I say, you offended me, hey, John, can I have a conversation with you? Can I, Mary, can I have a conversation with you? Hey, Alan, can I have a conversation with you? To say, what you said and did, and I don't know if you meant it this way, I don't know how it, I don't know what's in your mind, what was in your mind when you said it, but, but, but what you said was not true. It was not true about him, it was not true about her, and so I love you, and I want to become your editor. Not a, your account, accountability partners, that even has punitive uh, stamped all over it. But an editor says, I want to help make your work better. So that's what an editor, that's the job of an editor, is to mark up your paper with red so that your, your words can come out more, so your words can come out better, so the world can say, wow, that's an amazing story. And so every man needs an editor, every woman needs an editor to actually say, I'm going to rebuke what you did because I care enough about it. We don't criticize, we don't hold grudges. What we have a tendency to do in the Christian church is when someone hurts us, we hold a grudge and we criticize. What we have a tendency to do, instead of going to the person, we go to another person to talk about that person. <laughs> because we don't have enough gumption, we don't have enough courage to have the crucial conversation. Joseph Grinney who wrote the book Crucial Conversations, he says there are three elements to a crucial conversation. He says the first element is the, the stakes are high, that we care, about, we care about something. The second one is emotions are strong. We care about something very deeply and very strongly. And then the third element is, um, is that uh, there is varying opinions about that thing. And so because of that, that, that it requires us to actually say to confront the issue when, something, when someone has been wounded and not gossip about it, not criticize, not criticize the person, but actually go to the person and say, um, Kevin, hey, can we have a conversation, Kevin? Um, and, uh, you know, there's distance between us and I've recognized that over the last several weeks, and, um, and I know it probably stems from that conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago, and um, it got heated, and it, you know, I probably should have come to you early, but you seemed to be wounded and hurt and offended by my words, and my words were very sharp, and my words were unnecessary, and I know I hurt you, but I didn't, I didn't man, I didn't, 
I didn't think about it. The emotion, my emotions were high, and, you know, we were struggling over the same issue and that sort of thing. And I just went home and walked away and said, Kevin needs to be a big boy and take it, you know, just take it. And, and I, didn't, I didn't come to you, so Kevin, would you please forgive me? And by that time, Kevin is like, 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 yeah, you know, yeah, what you said, yeah, he becomes historical. Not hysterical, but historical. And yeah, he starts bringing up not, not only that situation, but he starts bringing up situations three months ago that he's been holding on to against me. And I didn't even know that he was angry with me. You remember you said this, and you said this, and you did this. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, dude, hold on a second. I didn't even know that but he's been holding a grudge and yet he's been smiling in my face. We've been, a same, we've, been a same, we've been a part of the same small group. He's been answering questions. He's been hugging me, shaking my hand, but he's been seething on the inside. And I didn't have enough courage to come to him at first and he didn't have enough courage to come to me at first. And we've let the relationship or the wound in the relationship fester. Does that make sense, everybody? So we have to do it courageously. Okay, if it was reversed. So, so, name, so the situation where... Yeah, and that's and I think I think the courageous the care the courageous carefrontation, the courageous carefrontation is is part of the relationship, and and we don't do this well all the time. I need to receive the rebuke. So we know how to we're really good in giving the rebuke, but we are poor rebuke receivers. And so I need to hear Kevin out. And I need to say, whoa, there's something there, and I need to be humble enough. Part of wisdom is what, um, what the, psalmist, the, the proverb says that is, is listening to the other person. Let me, um, let me there's, a, um, there's, a, there's actually a verse. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, we'll, we'll get to that, but, but to receive the rebuke well. So here's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so there's a give and take here on both sides. So receiving, so receiving, um, Receiving the rebuke is wise. But when we start defending ourselves and we start justifying ourselves, rationalizing, then that's when we get in trouble. So I had a situation, um, had a situation where um, I, I blog. I blog in addition to a lot of other things that I, uh, a lot of other things that I do. I blog on a fairly regular basis, two to three times a week. And if you want to, you can go to MarvinLWilliams.com. You can see uh, some of the things that I've written. So I, I wrote recently on uh, the issues that, uh, that happen in, um, in Baton Rouge, issues that happen in Minnesota, and the issues that happen in Dallas. And um, I wrote about the issue of violence, wrote about the issue of violence. How should you and I respond to, to that in our, in our culture, in our world? And then I wrote a follow-up. In fact, I was getting ready to release this blog post first, uh, the one that I'm about to tell you about. But when the thing in Dallas happened, I felt I needed to release the, I needed to write a different one. And so the one that I started to write, uh, one I did write and released it second, was um, the conversations that I have to have with my black sons about I have to have the talk. Now, now, and this is, this is me, I have to have the talk that when you're stopped, this is what you do. You keep your, you, you, you be as polite as possible. You keep both hands on the steering wheel. You put your license and your registration and your insurance card on the dashboard. 
and you do not say anything. Because it feels like in our country right now, not all, but some, and it only takes one corrupt racist cop for it to happen. And so I said, um, you don't say anything because if you flinch an inch because of the color of your skin, there is a bias out there. So I, I, I shared that. I, 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 there are a number of other things that I shared in that particular post. And, um, and it wasn't anything offensive. It wasn't anything that, that you and I um, wouldn't say or write. It, it, I, I protected my office and position as a pastor, as not only as a pastor, but someone who is a father, a, son, a father and a, a son and the whole nine. And so, uh, so I had a number of people to, or, or se- several people to message me on Facebook and to say that what I said was, is filled with hatred and filled with racism and that sort of thing. I'm saying, please tell me, please tell me where I, where, where I, what I said that warrants that. Please tell me. And so I'm trying to receive the rebuke. I'm trying, because because I, I felt myself getting angrier and angrier because of the things that they were saying to me. And, and I, I, I wish I could show you and tell you what they said, but I'm not going to show you and tell you what they said. And I found myself trying to defend. And I, 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 the, the Holy Spirit says, okay, you need to stop defending and not, and receive whatever, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a perceived rebuke, just receive it and say, okay, thank you very much for your perspective, and, and then show me where I've hurt you, show me where I've sinned, and I am more than glad to apologize. So, so what they said, it was not necessarily a courageous carefrontation. It was a punitive confrontation, something that a follower of Jesus probably would not do and should not do. And I had to say, okay, how do I respond to this? I have to try my best to receive with wisdom and say, where did I go wrong? and then receive that. Does that make sense? I, I didn't mean to go off on a, on a rabbit trail there, but I think it's germane to what we're talking about in terms of the courage that you and I ought to have in confronting the issues that we, um, that we ultimately uh, deal with. Here's a, here's a third thing, a third move, is care front the person, care front the person graciously. Care front the person graciously. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18, um, 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So here's a, here's a key. Go show the person their fault just between the two of you. See, this is key. You know why? Because what we have a tendency to do, before we've gone to the person, we have now told five or six other people your side of the story, and now it has colored their thinking about that person. So now, the people that you've told, they were really good friends with that person prior to you telling them about how they've offended or hurt you and how angry you are with them. 
And now they have no reason to be angry with this person, but now you've given them a reason to give them the cold shoulder. And so now when they come to the small group, now this group of women are not talking to this woman because of what you told this one, these, this group about this person. And she's wondering like, what did I do to Mary? What did I do to Joni? What did I do to them? Well, you didn't do anything. It's the person who carried that information to them. But if you go to Joni alone and say, Joni, you and I, we have been friends for years, and you know I care, I love you, and you're my friend, you're my sister, so can we have a conversation? Same conversation that Kevin and I just had, you have that conversation with Joni, and oh, wow, please forgive me, tears, and everybody's crying, and you're eating chocolate and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's forgiveness. Nobody else knows about it. Nobody else knows that you are even fighting or you had an issue. You hug, and now everything is okay. You're the only two, you and God and that other person are the only two that know. But man, when we begin to spread it like a contagion, it infects the rest of the body. It infects friendships and relationships. So you do it graciously. And so Jesus goes on in another, in another verse and says, uh, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log uh, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's a, there's a sense where Jesus is saying, do it graciously. Here's another passage, Galatians 6 and 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the same harsh treatment you give someone else, someone might give you that same harsh treatment when you fail them and offend them. And so the idea is, how do you and I graciously and with gentleness restore the relationship when there is an offense. So, um, so here's how you do it. Okay, yes. Yeah, I, th I think there's an order. I think there's an order that you can uh, that you can use if you you know you come to, you know once you settle the situation with the person that you had the issue with or you all the person that had the issue, but you've already gone to tell other people about it. I think you go back to that group. You go back to them individually and say, you know something, I was wrong. I I sinned against my sister Joni by number one gossiping about her, and and number two I broke Matthew. 18, 15, where I did not go to Joni first, and I was wrong. And I'm asking you to forgive me for letting you down as your sister and letting Joni down as her sister. Now, that, that is like, we don't, that's, that's like, some people will say, some, some nominal Christians would say, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk because why go through all of that? Well, we go through all of that because the relationship is most important. So you go back to those individuals, and that may, that may require, man, I got so much egg on my face in saying that, but you will feel so much lighter, you know, jumping up five times, there is there, there, you will feel so much lighter, not weighed down by that. And it, it, it protects your integrity it protects your respect uh, as, a, as, a brother, as a sister in Christ because now people will know that you are a person of your word and that you want to honor the Scripture. That is so, so, so key. So how do we do it? We do it, number one, we do it privately, not publicly. We, uh, in terms of how to do it gentle, uh, gently, we do it privately, not publicly. We do it humbly, not arrogantly. 
and we do it spiritually, not according to our sinful nature. So we do it privately, not publicly. That's Matthew 18, 15. Humbly, not arrogantly. That's Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And spiritually, not according to our sinful nature. That's Galatians 6 and 1. So that's how you and I, um, you and I, uh, you and I do it. Now, let me, let me give you, um, uh, let me, this is Jesus goes on, and I need to kind of wrap this up. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So the idea here is, is um, forgiveness requires the offender to own the sin repentantly. So forgiveness requires the offender to say, I have sinned against you and I am sorry would you please forgive me? Forgiveness goes beyond, or repentance goes beyond, a mere apology. Repentance says, I apologize, I confess, and I will now go in a different direction, and I won't treat you like that again. Now, I may do something else to you. I mean, I know I'm going to do something else to you down the road because I'm human, but I am not going to do that thing to you again. At least that's That's my desire. That's my hope. That's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do. I've been wounded. I I mean, I've wounded you about uh, in in the area of gossip. and, And by the help of God, I am not going to gossip about you again. So, so there's a, it's more than an apology. It, um, it is, it is actually repenting, going in a different direction. Let me give you, let me give you, um, let me give you one more, and then, um, uh, and then I, need to, I need to quit, and then we can ask questions. So let me give you this last, this last verse. So the last thing is ask Jesus to help you to forgive. So here's what the rest of the passage is. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Because what you're asking us to do is hard. What you're asking us to do, if a person sins against you seven times, 70 times seven, that means perpetual forgiveness. Forgiveness ought to be a lifestyle for us because people will offend us. People will sin against us. And to, for, so, so our lifestyle should be forgive, forgiveness. And so the disciple says, whoa, we need more faith to do this. We can't do this in our human strength. And so the apostle said to, uh, to, to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and, and plant it in the sea, and it would, ob- it would obey you. And so the next step in terms of bearing the hatchet is ask Jesus to help you. He will give you the capacity. He will give you the demeanor. He will give you the heart. The Holy Spirit will give you the mindset. What we have a tendency to do sometimes is we put our emotions before objective truth versus obeying and then letting our emotion catch up with our, uh, the, uh, our emotions catch up with objective truth. Jesus says, I want you to obey first. Because 99 times out of 100, you and I are not going to feel like forgiving another person. So Jesus says, just forgive. It's a part of what it means to be obedient, an obedient disciple. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the hard road of discipleship. If you thought following Jesus was going to be easy, this proves that it's not easy. This proves that it's a very, very difficult path, and yet it's the right path. And Jesus, we see Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, after they, they opened his skin, put nails in his hand, pierced his side, and he is saying, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Most times when people hurt us, they have no idea how deeply they're hurting us. Either they've been hurt 
and they're now taking it out on you, or they have no clue as to how deeply they're offending you. Many times, many times. Now, it, it takes, it, it's an evil person who wakes up in the morning to say, I am about to ruin Kevin's life today. It's an evil person. But many times, emotions are high, and in the heat of the moment, I say something or do something to Kevin, and I wound him, not realizing how deeply the hurt is. All right, I got to stop. I got to quit, and, um, and we need to... We actually need to take a break, and then we'll have some time uh, for, for Q&A, and then I want to close, um, close us in prayer. And uh, if you have issues that you're dealing with, someone you need to forgive, someone you need to receive forgiveness from, uh, uh, from they've, they've tried to offer forgiveness, but you've allowed the wound to fester and fester, and you did not, forget, you did not forgive, maybe you need to go to that person. And maybe on the break, uh, this 10-minute break, you may, the Holy Spirit has convicted you. Maybe you need to text and say, hey, can we set up a meeting? Can we set up coffee? Because I need to talk to you about something. Or, um, and, and I need to, I need to, I really do need to have this conversation with you because I know that I hurt you. And I've just let it fester, fester, fester. And, uh, and maybe God is calling you to have that crucial and courageous conversation. Or maybe there are some things in your life that from the past, where a mother or father did something to you, they're gone now, and you, there's no way you can forgive them, maybe you need to write a letter to them. Maybe you need to write a note to them to say, Mom and Dad, I forgive you. Um, I, need to, I forgive you for all of the, the times you did this, this, and this, and all of those kinds of things. Another thing is, I know, I'm, I, know I said I was going to take you on the break, but I need to get, to get to this. Stop trying to forgive yourself. Stop trying to forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself. Because the moment you try to forgive yourself, you actually place, place yourself in the place of God, and you become the idol. Only God can forgive. You and I simply receive what God is offering us. All right? All right, so let's take a break, and then we'll come back and answer some questions and um, and maybe we get to some things that we did not get to in this time.